So as a church, we are going through this series of a life of a disciple. Uh, We are looking at the practices of a disciple. We're looking at Jesus, his life, and what did he do as a uh, uh, in his life and his disciples do. So we can do those as well because we are disciples and followers of Jesus. So we started on uh, week one, Bally brought to us that a disciple is someone that prays uh, from Matthew chapter six. He talked about the structure of prayer. And then I talked about uh, reflecting on scripture, that you should dig deep into scripture because the Bible is for every season, every day and every moment. And then Dave Gawler uh, last week spoke to us about living in community. Another practice of a disciple is that we should live in community. And although sometimes living in community with one another and being with one another uh, has challenges, we're called to love one another. And he talked about that further. And you can catch those up on our website or on Facebook uh, and listen to those back. But this morning I'm carrying on with our fourth practice of a disciple. And that is silence and solitude. That is silence and solitude. And when I'm talking about silence and solitude, uh, this is what I mean. It's intentionally taking time in the quiet to be with yourself and with God. Silence and solitude is you taking time in the quiet to be with yourself and with God. This week I asked a few people from church uh, some questions about their quiet times and this video shows what they have said to me. I have quiet time, I pray in the morning after I've had my breakfast and before I go to work. Um, I do pray at other times as well. Um, and then at lunch times, when I'm at work, I go to my car and I read the Bible, daily devotional, word for today. Um, yeah, so that's some of the ways anyway. I'm not naturally organised, so I make a point of reading a chapter or so of the Bible every morning around breakfast time. And I manage that pretty much every day. I do ask the Holy Spirit to try and bring it alive. But then I I try and chew it over. But quite often, you know, other things intrude and you don't get very far. Um, I've tried a few different times of um, spending time alone with God. First thing in the morning before everyone gets up. uh, Last in the evening when kids are in bed. Going for a walk on my own. Um, which is most successful, um, I think, because there's not likely to be any interruptions and there's not really too much distraction. Also, um, recently, because I've woke up in the night quite a bit and I can't get back to sleep, so I've spent time more then as well praying. Um, so although it's not ideal to be up in the middle of the night, I've found um, that's a good time as well to pray. When you pray, you're communicating with God and you're telling him what's going on. And often when you read the Bible, that it, something will be there that encourages you 
or answers something. Often my spiritual life seems separate from daily living. I can only hope that the spiritual rubs off on the daily and not the other way around. But they, in my mind, they're almost separate things. So I can definitely, definitely see a difference when I do spend time alone with God, praying, reading Bible. I feel like some of the things that are distraction or that I get stressed about um, aren't, don't seem quite as important. Um, maybe I feel more peaceful that day as well. Um, but I found that more as well if I did spend the time with God in the mornings rather than like later on in the day. Um, usually on a Saturday when you're out of the normal weekly routine um, and there's more stuff going on and also when I'm on holiday because it's usually pretty full on. Something I have used effectively, particularly when Duncan has been going through a difficult time, is to forego my lunch and pray instead. And I do that by making the point of leaving the office, walking along the roads around where I work and sort of chewing it over. Some of that's praying, some of it's just asking God the questions. Why? When? How? Why not? And um, I don't know what other people think see me muttering, but it works for me. Things I get stressed about um, external things, they can be a big distraction um, to spending time with God. Things that probably don't matter at all um, can definitely distract me from, from having quiet time. Kids can be a distraction, um, but also I think it's a good excuse not to have quiet time with God because, you know, they do go to bed and actually it's good for them to see you, I think, spending time reading your Bible and praying because you're, you're, um, witnessing to them and you're showing them how you should spend time with God. Thank you to um, Charmaine, Al and Becky for your openness uh, to share with us about your quiet times and how, how you do it, how it affects your life and um, the things that uh, stop us from having quiet times as well. Thank you for your sharing with us. So this morning, I just want to encourage you to stay tuned in for 15 minutes whilst I bring us this message, which I think is a, it's going to be a powerful message and a message of encouragement and also of a challenge uh, to us as a church. And we are looking at this silence and solitude, intentionally taking time to be in the quiet with ourselves and with God. So we're going to dive straight in there and we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 19 and we're going to be looking at Elijah. Don't worry about turning in your Bibles because I'm going to explain the story uh, to us. Uh, you might want to write it down, uh, but 1 Kings chapter 19. So here is Elijah and actually in 1 Kings 18, um, Elijah has just come off a high point of his life. Uh, 1 Kings 18 describes when there's been drought in the land for three years. And Elijah has just proven that his God is better and greater and more powerful than the other gods. I'm talking about gods with a capital G. 
And he's shown this by, he's called upon his God to, to uh, rain down uh, water, uh, that there will be rain on the earth. And there was rain. And so he's at this high point where he's proven to the nation and to the people that his God is the God of the impossible. His God is greater. His God is more powerful. And then we get to 1 Kings chapter 19. And Elijah is there on the mountaintop in many ways. Not a physical mountaintop at this point, but a mountaintop in terms of his life success because he's shown how great God is. And he displayed it for all the nation to see. And he's there and uh, Jezebel says to, uh, to Elijah, I'm going to kill you, basically. Uh, I want you dead. And uh, Jezebel says, because you killed all the prophets. And when it was, uh, Elijah killed the prophets of Baal. Uh, so in many ways, the bad prophets. And uh, so Elijah is fearing for his life and he runs away. He runs into the wilderness because he is scared, he's worried. He's gone from this moment of a mountaintop of seeing God do great things in the nation to worrying and fearing for his own life and his own safety. And Elijah, he goes, he runs and he gets under a tree and he says, uh, he says this to God, I've had enough, Lord. I've had enough. See, under that tree, Elijah is a emotional, physically and spiritually a wreck. He's had enough. He's, he's, he, he doesn't want to go on anymore as such. And I, I wonder if you've ever said things like that in your life. I've had enough. I've, I've had enough with work. I've had enough with even friends or family. I've had enough with every day. I've had enough. I have to get up again. Or you might have even said, I've had enough with life, like Elijah said. And you're at that, you've been at that lowest point of desperation. See, Elijah felt very similar feelings. He's gone from the mountaintop to the valley. He's gone from seeing God do great exploits to fearing his own life. And he's had enough. He says in 1 Kings chapter 19, I'm no better than my ancestors. See, at this point, something incredible happens because an angel comes and says to Elijah, eat some bread, drink some water, and take a rest. See, the angel doesn't say, Elijah, go back and display my greatness. Go back and do this great ministry. Go back and do this thing. But he says, no, 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 Elijah, you just need to rest and drink and eat. You just need to meet your basic needs to live. And then the angel says it again. You need to eat and drink and rest because you've got a journey ahead of you. And so Elijah, he eats some bread, he drinks, and he rests. And then he goes on a journey for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And he ends up at this place uh, near a mountaintop. And God says to him, what are you doing here? 
Elijah, what are you doing here? He's saying, what is going on in your life? Why have you ended up here, Elijah? And Elijah gives a spill to God. And he tells him about what's going on, basically. And then God says to him, go up to the mountain. This is the physical mountain here. Go up and walk up the mountain and my presence will pass before you. And many of us know the story. Uh, a, 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 a wind comes, a powerful wind which breaks rocks and God is not in the wind. And then comes an earthquake and God is not in the earthquake. And then comes a fire and God's not in the fire like he spoke to Moses in the fire. And then comes a gentle whisper. It's not just a whisper, it's a gentle whisper. And God, in all his holy presence, in a powerful, tangible way, is there in, on the mountain with Elijah. See, I like to think that this was an, an awestruck moment for Elijah. Probably a moment that he's never experienced throughout his whole life. But here, on a mountain, on his own, there's a gentle whisper and he's taken back. Church, I wonder if you ever felt the presence of God like and you're just overwhelmed by it. It just, it just, in many ways, it makes you really emotional. And you just feel the love of God. You feel the power and the sovereignty and the holiness of God. And this is in many ways what Elijah's experiencing when he's on that mountain, in the whisper, in the quietness, in the, the gentle whisper. He's, he's taken back. He's in awestruck of the presence of God. At that point, uh, Elijah gives another spiel to God, exactly the same spiel that he gave before about his life. And then uh, God says to him, this is what you should do. Go back and do this and this and that. And Elijah then does, does it. But at that point, when he was in the quietness, he experienced the presence of God and he got the wisdom of what he should do in his life in the midst when he was fearing his own life. See, if we jump forward a couple of thousand years, we get to uh, Jesus. And I want to tell us the story of Jesus in the wilderness from Matthew chapter 4. And uh, many of us know the story. Jesus is about 30 years old. Uh, he's, he's learned a trade and he's grown up. He's physically grown. He's probably emotionally every way grown up. And uh, John the Baptist has baptised him. And then the Bible said a strange thing that the spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness. And then we know that he was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And uh, well, at the end of that, he, he has what we see is like a bit of a battle with Satan. But he comes victorious because Jesus is victorious over Satan. Do I hear an amen? Amen. And he, but in that time, he goes in to the wilderness. See, what struck me and what I think about this is that I often think, felt, that the wilderness was a place of weakness. But actually, the wilderness wasn't a place of weakness. 
It was a place of strength. I want to repeat that, that the wilderness wasn't a place of weakness for Jesus. It was a place of strength. And this is why. Because if you understand Greek, the, the Greek word for wilderness is eremos. Eremos. And if you want, the translations of eremos could be uh, wilderness. It could be desolate, quiet, lonely. It could be silent. It could be all these things uh, that you understand the word of Ramos. So when Jesus goes into the wilderness, he goes into a place of quietness. He goes into a place of silence, of uh, desolate, where he can be with his father. See, the place of a wilderness isn't a weak place. It's a place of strength. See, we get throughout the Gospels of Jesus going to a place uh, to be quiet and to be with God. And we get this in uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 35. You don't need to turn there once again, just write it down. And uh, basically, before this chapter, Jesus has been on a marathon of a day. He's healed the sick. He's done miracles. He's done, he's done crazy things that day. He is tired. But in Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 35... It says, rising very early in the morning, whilst it was still dark, so this is the next day, uh, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Some translations say quiet place or silent place, but the key word here for desolate is eremos, the same word that is used for wilderness. And we see this throughout the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, when we just see Jesus' life, is that he constantly went to an Eremos place to be with his father, to be uh, with God. Because he needed that time. And I want to give us two points, and this is going to be two quick points here. And the two points is this. The first one is go away with Jesus. See, silence and solitude is intentionally taking time to be in the quiet with yourself and with God. See, to spend time in the quiet is vitally important uh, for the health of your soul. See, God cares for all his creation. God cares for humanity. God loves humanity. And I want to say that God cares for your humanity. He cares for you right now. He doesn't just care about what you do, but he cares about who you are, about your emotional and your spiritual and your physical uh, health. But the bigger question is, do you care for your humanity? Do you care about your emotional, physical and spiritual health? That is the question, because God does, but do you? See, this leads on to what does it actually mean to be human? What does it mean to be human? And I was writing some things down the other day, what it means to be human. And I'm not saying these are right or wrong, but these are just some thoughts I thought about what people could say 
what it means to be human. To live a long life. To be human is to get old and to live a long life. It's to be happy. Of course, all the time. It's to see the world. I want to see everything around the world. I want to go travelling again and again and again. Because that's what it means to be human. It's to make a difference. Maybe it's to get married, have kids. And there could be so many things that people could say, this is what it means to be human. But if we take it back uh, to the Bible and what the Bible says that it means uh, to be human, I was thinking of Genesis and Revelation. See, Genesis is the story right right at the beginning is, is Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And it's perfection. And Adam and Eve are there together, uh, enjoying creation, and they are walking with God. They're in that quiet place. See, the Garden of Eden isn't a city which is hustling and bustling. It isn't a city with loud noises and people stressed out and frantic with their lives. It isn't a city where people are, are angry, but it's a, it's a garden which is quiet and it's enjoyable. It sights, it smells, it tastes. It's enjoyable. It's that quiet place that Adam and Eve are walking with God. And then you go throughout scripture, you get to Revelation, and we we know that one day we as followers of Jesus are going to be with Jesus in all his fullness in many ways. And we are going to be uh, together in eternity. And it's with God again. What does it mean to be human It means to be walking and be fully with God. Do you care about your humanity? See, Richard Foster, he says this. Loneliness is inner emptiness. Solitude is inner fulfilment. See, when we're talking about silence and solitude, we're not talking about being lonely because that's inner emptiness. We're talking about a solitude which makes you inner fulfilled, that you are feeling fulfilled in your inner self. You know, uh, me and Becky, uh, we started to read a book together, well, listen to a book actually, audio, um, from a a guy um, called Peter Sarkozy, I think he's pronounced it. He's an American guy, uh, I think he has roots back into Italy, and he writes a book on emotionally healthy leaders and by the way if you read it it's a fantastic book not just for leaders and in many ways we're all leaders because we're leading ourselves in life but it's a fantastic book and uh, we've been trying to go through I've read it for four years ago we try to go through it together and uh, he says he says this he says this it is impossible to be spiritually mature whilst remaining emotionally immature he said it's impossible to be spiritually mature whilst remaining emotionally immature. See, Jesus would often, throughout the Gospels, he would go to the mountaintop to be with the Father. He'll go to Eremos place where he can spend time on uh, himself and God, uh, be with God. See, for us, uh, I wonder, where is your mountain? Where is your place where you can be with God? It could be a chair. It could be in your garden. It could be going for a walk. But it's a place where it's just you and God, your quiet times uh, with God. And I just want to encourage you, find a place where you can be with God. 
Breathe slowly and deeply and naturally. Give yourself to God. Let go of your cares and worries. Close your eyes and think about maybe a Bible scripture or think about who God is and ask God to speak to you. See, that is about going to the mountaintop, finding that place to be quiet with God. I, this is my second point and my last point because there's only two points. But it's, it's this. And it is from, uh, it is, it's the benefits of silence and solitude. And these are the benefits. I'm going to run through them really quickly. It is, it breaks the power of hurry. See, if you spend time with God, if you daily spend time in the choir, you will find that it will break the power of your hurried life. Another one is, it helps to renew your soul. So many people don't invest time in their soul. They don't invest time in their humanity because they don't see it as a worthwhile investment. But God does. Uh, Next one. It reminds us that life will still go on without us. Have you ever sat down and just had a relaxing day? You get up the next day, life is still going on. Things at work still going on. People's lives, family is still going on. It's not down to us to fix everything. But when we spend times in the choir, it reminds us that life is still going on. Next one, it creates inner space to hear the voice of God. As we spend time in the choir, we uh, in many ways, remove the distractions. We, re- we remove the voice of the enemy, the father of lies, and we start to hear the voice of God who gives us fresh perspective and gives us wisdom in our life as we hear his voice. Uh, another one, it helps us deal with our emotions. We are emotional people. We get uh, angry, upset. We get frustrated, disappointed, we get excited, we, we get happy. We are an emotional pe- people and when we spend the times in quiet, in that Eremos place, uh, it helps us deal with our emotions and put them into perspective and what God says about us. Uh, another one is it brings freedom and healing. Many times in my life I've spent time in the quiet and I felt God just touch me and heal me. I'm talking about internally, emotionally. And lastly, when we spend time with God, we come home to ourselves and to God. There's something, um, there's something remarkable, there's something intimate. When you go away to that quiet place, that chair, the garden, the walk, where you're just with yourself, your thoughts, your emotions, and you're with God, and you're walking with God, uh, very similar to Adam and Eve at the beginning of time and it's intimate, it's powerful. See, these are the benefits of silence and solitude. And I just want to end this talk by saying this, is that, see, Jesus was the son of God. And to sustain him in ministry and to sustain him in life, he needed to go to that Eremos place. He needed to go into the wilderness. He needed to go into the quiet time, to the desolate place. He needed to be with the Father so he could be with himself and with his Father. And he needed that. So therefore, how much more do we as his followers uh, need 
time with our God, quiet time with God. This is a practice of a disciple that we spend time with God. And, you know, if you want to sustain yourself in life, in your workplace, in your family, in your friendships, in your calling in life, you need to spend time with God. Because that will sustain the rest of your life, that quiet time. And it could start with just two minutes a day. It doesn't need to be a bit, and it grows. And this is the thing, everything God created, every living thing God created grows. People, animals, plants, God called us to grow. And in this quiet time, we grow something that we cannot see, but something that is strong to sustain us. I want to encourage you, church, today, Take time to be with God. Go to that silent solitude. Create a practice, a habit to be with God, to sustain you. And we're going to respond uh, by singing a song. And the song is Mighty to Save. And I just want to encourage you. You might want to surrender your life and your heart to God again. And said, I, I, my practices have not been in line with what I want to do, God. I've been distracted, or you might think, well, actually, I, I want to get my quiet times better. God, I need that restoration of my soul. I need that inner voice of God. I need to deal with my emotions. I want to refocus and prioritize my time, God. Over this next song, I want to encourage you just to sit there and listen to the words and think about your, yourself and God. <laughs> 